You're listening to the Study Legal English Podcast, the world's first legal English podcast, helping lawyers and law students become fluent in legal English. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of the Study Legal English Podcast. I am your host Louise and in today's episode we are looking at equity. Equity is a source of law in the UK focused on the idea of fairness and natural justice. It is a source of law which developed as a consequence of the harshness of the common law. Historically, it operated totally separately from the common law, in separate courts and with totally separate cases. But nowadays, things are a little bit different. Let's look at the development of equity, what it is and how it applies today. So, let's get started. As we learnt in the last episode, common courts and laws gradually developed after the Norman conquest in England in the 11th century, and within a couple of hundred years, a body of common law existed. Right at the beginning, in the early stages of the development of the common law, Civil cases were started by the plaintiff purchasing a writ which set out a cause for a claim. And it was this that began the legal process which would ultimately lead to a legal trial. Different types of writ were developed over many years, but in the 13th century this stopped and no new ones were permitted. With this new limitation, If a dispute involved a situation outside of the available writs, parties were unable to seek redress and the dispute would have to be dealt with outside of court. This, along with the development of precedent and the fact that damages were the only remedy available, made the common law very rigid and really narrowed the type of cases where people could truly resolve a dispute in court. With so many unresolved disputes, the people of England inevitably became restless. In such cases where parties were unable to bring a claim in the courts, they began to seek a resolution by petitioning the king directly. By the 15th century, the king, who of course didn't want to deal with all these petitions, was instead passing them on to the Lord Chancellor. The Chancellor was the king's keeper of conscience, and it was he who was responsible for delivering justice on behalf of the king. Eventually, realising that this was happening, parties began petitioning the Lord Chancellor directly. The Chancellor would call parties in, question them, and then, after some time of reflecting on what they had said, eventually he would reach a verdict based on his own moral point of view of what was right and what was wrong. This was the beginning of equity, 
and gradually it grew with the Court of Chancery being set up to deal with cases. Equity was far more flexible than common law, as, firstly, it was not bound by precedent, and therefore it could decide the fairest outcome for each individual case, and, secondly, it was not limited by the writ system, and therefore it allowed for new rights and remedies to be developed and applied. But, of course, with such flexibility, equity became very popular and conflicts arose between the common law and equity. What about situations where the common law said one thing and equity said another? Well, this all came to a head in the early 17th century. Common law lawyers were convinced that the common law was the most important source, whereas, of course, those for equity argued that equity was the most important source of law. The only person who could truly say was the king. So the king advised that, where there was a conflict between common law and equity, equity should prevail. Meaning that if common law said one thing and equity said another, the decision in equity should be the one to follow. However, now that equity had become so important, there were many matters which needed to be addressed. It seemed to be a totally subjective area of law. Whatever the Chancellor felt was right or wrong was just applied and there was no consistency or predictability as to what would be the outcome of a case. Gradually, principles began to develop and equity became a strict system similar to that of the common law. But it didn't really make any sense anymore that equity was applied in one court and common law in another. Therefore, by the time we got to the 19th century, a number of reforms were desperately needed. At this time, a number of Acts of Parliament were enacted to improve the system, which included a complete restructuring of the courts. This established the High Court of Justice, which would administer both common law and equity. And although the Court of Chancery was abolished, the Chancery Division of the High Court, which even exists nowadays, took over much of the work dealt with by the Chancery Court. Whilst both equity and common law developed rules through precedent, equity, in addition to this, developed through cases a number of equitable maxims. These are not written down in statute, but rather are general principles which the courts follow which govern the way equity operates. For example, there are a couple of equitable maxims that I will mention. Firstly, he who comes to equity must come with clean hands. What does that mean? Well, this means that a claimant who is claiming that they have been wronged 
in some way by the other party must have clean hands. Or, in other words, that if the claimant has acted unfairly or in a dirty manner, then they will not be able to claim inequity. Another equitable maxim is Delay defeats equities. This means that if a claimant takes an unreasonable amount of time to claim an equity, the claim will not be valid. And how long is unreasonably long? Well, this is a matter to be decided on a case-by-case basis by the court. So equity still retain some of that flexibility and fairness. Nowadays, equity remains an important area of law and it's particularly important in the area of property law. Additionally, there are a number of equitable remedies. The common law remedies of damages are awarded first and foremost and equitable remedies are awarded at the discretion of the court, where damages are inappropriate. And what are these equitable remedies? Well, equitable remedies include, firstly, specific performance, and this means that the defendant in a case can be ordered by the court to do something. Secondly, An injunction means the defendants can be ordered to do or to not do something. Thirdly, rescission. This puts the parties to a contract in the position they were in before entering the contract. And fourthly, rectification. This rectifies a document, meaning that the words of a document are changed in order to give the true intentions of the parties. So that's the end of today's episode. We've covered what equity is, how it developed and how it changed over time. There were hopefully quite a few new words in today's podcast episode, which Podcast Pro members can learn the definitions of with example sentences and also test their knowledge with quizzes at www.studylegalenglish.com forward slash episode 33. Of course, if you're interested in membership, head over to studylegalenglish.com forward slash podcast dash pro. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. And of course, if you have any feedback, topic requests or would like to feature on the show, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch by email at info at studylegalenglish.com or on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and see you next time.